Hello and welcome to Adam versus the Man, New Time, 9 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are with us live, making this such a wonderful conversation every single day, Adam versus the Man in this format. Thanks to our producer, CJ in South Dakota, for making it happen. Moving it up an hour early is going to make things a little easier for him, making this a better production and more effective in posting and distributing this content that you make it possible for us to provide with CJ, myself, and of course, comment Jim Freedom joining us in studio, as always, right here in the beautiful No Force One studios in the, I said beautiful for the studios. I needed another word. I should have, because I was going to say exquisite natural beauty of Juniper Wood Ranch, but that's, I guess that works, I'm saying beauty twice, anyway, here we are, 9 a.m., and really excited about the show as it's developing today, got to remind everybody, we are live on YouTube, whether, whether we like it or not, and it is the best place to watch the show live, and I say that primarily because of the super chat option, this is an interactive show. This is a collaborative conversation. This is one where the audience is a part of what we are talking about and making sure that I'm not wrong about, I mean, I'm never wrong because I'm a libertarian. <laughs> we already know that. But no, that, uh, that I'm not missing anything or giving any bad advice or, or you know, any critical stories have, have, have uh, you know, passed through my filter inappropriately in covering the day's events from an American libertarian perspective, looking at the entire world, the global human family. And if you want to be a part of the show, it's really easy. You chip in a dollar, you get to the front of the line, comment Jim Freedom, sees it right there in the YouTube stream, and you get to interrupt the show. That's it for a dollar. You get to be on the top of the pile. And if you are one of our Patreons, and excuse me, patrons, on Patreon. Well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get that verb. Like, every, like I, I hear it and I go, yeah, that's awesome. Like, volunteerism. Like, yeah, we, it's, like, we should use it. And, and etymologically, it's great. You go, yes. And then I go, god damn it. We have to call it voluntarism. <laughs> because we, volunteerism? What? Volunt- no. But etymologically, as in the structure of the word, it should be voluntarism. But I have given up this fight and embraced the clearer, more effective messaging term of voluntarism. I, I like the term patron. You go, yeah, that's that's a really great, appropriate word for what we're talking about about being an online monthly sponsor of something that you support or a creator or a cause, whatever, you're a patron. Like, a patron of the arts, right? I mean, like, that's what, that's what it's invoking, right? Or, or like, you know, I think of Patron as, like, the, the, the polo system, you know, or, you know, for, for rich sponsors making something possible. But patrons, people who are patrons of this show, of Adam vs. the Man, you who make it possible – and I know a lot of you guys are, uh, you know, a big chunk of our live audience every day, people who support the show, who want to be involved, who are in on the YouTube chat, but also the backstage chat, because for just $5, 
you get, well, no, you don't get backstage for $5 a month. For $5 a month, you get to be one of our good patrons. You get backstage, no, not backstage access. Sorry, that's next level. You get you get the behind-the-scenes footage. And this actually, Jim, Jim, you want to tell us about what, what we did this weekend here? Because the behind-the-scenes footage, I mean, to see what I'm wearing from the waist down is only interesting so many times. Right. There's a lot more to the behind-the-scenes footage of the show that, uh, that that really is more about the Garden of Freedom and everything we're doing here lifestyle-wise, living by libertarian values. So, Jim, did, did we, I know you had a couple of clips this weekend yeah, yeah, of I me in some compromising good. positions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you go to the Instagram or the Facebook for the Garden of Freedom, you can see some before and after pictures of the incinerator we've done. But if you're that Patreon, if you're that patron, Yes, yeah, yeah, like it, it makes sense. Okay, they took Patreon and they branded it and made it Patreon. Yeah. Go, that's brilliant. It sounds great. It looks great. And then every time, somehow I still trip up on it. Yeah, you want our Patreon, our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, Patreon, so the patrons, Twitter and tweeters and tweets was easier. The patrons actually get to watch the video footage. There's like a two minute clip, a one minute clip, a thirty second clip, a couple of different clips of different stages of the incinerator, and they actually get to see you putting it together. One of the one-minute clips was you briefly explaining what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so that's yep. pretty cool. It's, it's good footage, I think. I like it. Yeah, so, CJ, if you want to pull that up again, the Instagram for the Garden of Freedom. Now, Jim, I think you got to redo this gallery because it's like it's not in order the way that you did it on this. I look, they're good photos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. We need to do. We're gonna. We're gonna want to redo it when we finish the project. It's yeah. not done. We need to put another layer of dirt around the outside. And a picture with the lid. And, and we need. Well, we need to make the lid properly right. and then anchor it. And then we can say it's done. Um, oh, and there's there's Sam and me walking down the road at the garden. There you can see one of Jim's great drone videos. But no, so we did that incinerator. There's fun footage of me and Jim and Peter. Uh, moving cement around and and doing plaster work and it was it was a lot of fun like to do to do a sort of easy sloppy mortar cement project where you're not really worried about the finish it's just slap it together make it structurally functional not even sound like it's I mean yeah it's it's structurally sound for I mean for 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 an for a we're calling this the the redneck incinerator. And it's pretty cool, like, you know, we, we put a bunch of stone in it and, you know, built it up, and we've got, like, this sort of volcano-looking thing wow, with okay. steps on one side and a, and a wood cover. And the idea is that you burn your trash out here. Um, and th- there are issues with that. Like, I, I would rather be doing other things with the trash. We burn, of course, clean trash that we can as kindling, um, but like plastic sheet and and, stu- and and fabric trash and stuff that's not appropriate to throw in a fire that people are sitting around, we do a toxic burn and, and splash gasoline on stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's not optimal, but compared to the gas and driving it in and out and everything else, it, it really is a sort of minimal pollution solution. And, you know, you burn it, you burn, burn a few bags of trash when – the uh, when it's not windy out, and you know it's a uh, pretty common practice out here. So better than burning shit. Why, CJ? Do we get pinged for saying the S word with YouTube, or is it just the F word? I, this is like I, 
I feel so silly. It's like I, I, I feel like I've sold out almost even asking that question. Whereas uh, I used to just curse away on YouTube and be like, it's YouTube, it's free speech, I can say what I want. And I was like, well, yeah, you can, Adam, but they're going to mess with you. They're, I was going to say they're going to F with you. And then I was going to say they're going to screw with you. And I was like, is that is that too suggestive for YouTube? Uh, God damn it. Uh, oh, so there's, there's, two, there's two categories, sir, for uh, what is considered uh, inappropriate language where you can use light words like hell and damn. Yes, I have to go in Ooh. after the show and click we said words like that. Uh, if any of your opening it's clips not suitable for children, <laughs> well, we do that for every show, which kind of baffles me the most is that if every show is not suitable for children, then why do we have to go through at least eight different categories of what might offend or trigger somebody? which then determines what ads may be appropriate for your show. Yeah. Uh, so you might as well get it all out now, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said the F word yet. Is that a line? Is that a line that you cross that makes it worse? Yes. Uh, using that word makes it go from light inappropriate language to I have to now no notify YouTube that you have used okay. the word that use- begins with F. One F word in a show, and I have to, and we have to do that. What about the S word? Uh, that word again. I don't know where the threshold is. We're talking about again. This is yeah. not made and for children. Yeah, this is why if you can't say F, you can't say F YouTube censorship. Or as <laughs> what's the classic line? Oh my God, um, Bruce Lenny Bruce. If you can't say F, you can't say F the government. Well, I can't say F the government on YouTube anymore. Ah. What a a day we're... Oh, and now I have to let them know that you use the middle fingers, yes. What? Because, again, it may be inappropriate visual content for some audiences. No. No, 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 no. no. That's violence. I'll get it ready for you, sir. I'll get it ready The middle finger is not... There's an emoticon... For the middle finger. Uh, no, There's no, 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 don't report, don't report that, CJ. No, but really, really, you think, work you think this, 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 I mean, because this is, this is not, impl- I don't know, this means peace among worlds, right? In yeah. Rick and Morty language, yeah. and mi- microverse, tinyverse language, right? <laughs> no, we're not, all right. <laughs> Oh my gosh! What is? I got back into. I shouldn't have gotten back into production in the middle of Corona. I mean, I did it at the start of Coronaphobia, really. But oh my gosh, really, this is okay. What do you find, CJ? This is what they say that we have to go through every broadcast in order to determine what is appropriate on YouTube. We have inappropriate language. Adult content, violence, harmful or dangerous acts, drug-related content, hateful content, firearms-related content, sensitive issues, or none of the above. And uh, my favorite one right here for sensitive issues, discussion of modern acts of terror, events resulting in catastrophic loss of human life, or controversial social issues. And then analysis, this is the one I have to click for you every episode, analysis of opinion around serious and to, uh, topical events not described above, such as COVID-19, which now I have to click at the end of this show in, because I just said the words COVID-19. 
which if you click here, you can see that it does You that. should check that one anyway every time to be safe, though, right? Well, actually, most of the time, I know you throw out a hell or a damn, so light profanity like hell or damn. Now I have to click this link for this video. Uh, and you can see over here it tells you if your ads are appropriate. But if you use strong profanity, now you're limiting ads. Now if you use that F word, you have limited ads. Like hey, hey, did you just use the R word? Ridiculous, I thought. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. that, that can't yeah. be it. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure retarded. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm never offended. Just so this is my own little spin on this takeaway at the end. Like, I'm, I'm never offended really by language itself. Like, I've even said the N word, and I took the video down just because it, it, it didn't have enough overall positive value to justify, oh, my gosh, so I'm going to be the guy with the N-word video. And I'm sure someone could probably, like, dig it up somewhere. There. It was because some, a reporter used the N-word reading a comment on Facebook that was relevant to the story, and she didn't censor the comment. She just read it out loud. And, of course, this was – I think it was CNN or something. This was like uh, – when I first started doing the regular podcast like this in 2011 or something, 2012 maybe. And so I, it was effing N-word. And so I did a video called effing N-word, and I said it over and over again, but never once in anger or in hatred or directed at someone. It was all, you know, examination of this, in an intellectual and academic way. And if you can't do that, I mean, this is, I hate to play into this. I'm, I'm willing to do this to use YouTube's platform, you know, and it's, it's sort of like, and I get it. There's, there are issues here. Is it government? Is it a corporation? Is it private? You know, it's their private platform. They can set whatever terms they want. And, by the government. But right. And, and really, I, I see this kind of as a representation of the market, not because perverted by government, but I, I would be kind of doing these things. I mean, except for the, I mean, there's some stuff in the YouTube community guidelines there that are obviously like a, a ridiculous way of controlling the political conversation. Do, does the CDC have to check the box when they release the, one of their fear mongering videos about the beer virus? Like, no, see that, I'm, I'm, that was censorship. Just, so we don't just in case. Now CJ's got to mark it anyway. We got to mark that, you know, controversial topic. You know, I think uh, we should do that every show. Like, and if, I, if, if I'm doing Adam versus the man, trying to give you a complete worldview and, and you know the day's current events, and we don't cover something controversial, like I'm not doing my job. You know, that's that's got to be built into what the show is. But in a sense, like on on the language, I, you know, I'm a little bit willing to compromise anyway to meet people where they're at because I want people to be able to share this show and never have to be the guy to say, well, when you get over him saying F a lot, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a lot anyway. Like if I was completely natural in my personal self-expression talking about these things over the course of two hours, I might use the F word. What do you, what do you think, Jim? Five or six times? Once a half hour, maybe. Yeah, 
and 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 you know and it would be nice, but even that would be. And I think naturally, what I would be censoring myself down to would be like zero to one. You know, I would I would say it when I really felt like it for emphasis. But I would make sure that you guys, who I'm asking to share this show because it's an important conversation, you're not going to have to ask people to get over this. You are today going to have to ask them to get over me wearing my sunglasses on the show. <laughs> and again, you like the color coordination. At least we're, we're in line with the uh, color scheme of the show today. Normal white button down, but this time I've added the white glasses. This is kind of gross. Adam's health update for the day, which will be a, a nice contrast to Trump's health update for the day. And I was thinking, like, compared to Bush whacking brush at his ranch in Crawford, remember when W was president, him wearing eye protection. I was like, well, I was wearing eye protection, dude. This is like Jim and me going, well, I wasn't. When we, this is from when we did cement work last week, and I got like a fleck of Portland under my eyelid, and it gave me a sty, and it got infected. And I think I popped it a little early, um, but just I, I let it go this this weekend. We had an awesome weekend of, of, of manual labor. I, I was sweating and working. You know, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, got a lot of stuff done out here and, and didn't touch my eye at all. And it, it got to where, like, the, the infection was isolated. I was able to pop it properly. It was really gross, right? And um, so it feels a lot better. It should just be a day or two. Hopefully now the last bit of irritation goes down. I got to give a product shout-out on this one. Free promo. Colloidal Gold from the Garden of Freedom, sorry, the Garden of Eden, which is the inspiration for the Garden of Freedom in a lot of ways, thanks to my friend, my big brother, Quinn Aker, and uh, from the Garden of Eden, High Vibe Health product line, Colloidal Gold, and gold uh, in suspension, you know, and a lot of people, and same thing with silver, a lot of people go, oh, it's stupid and it's worthless. Because there are idiots who get into this stuff and go, oh, you can put it on a broken leg and it's going to heal your broken leg. And you go, no, but gold suspended in a, in, a, in a liquid suspension has an antibacterial property. And this last weekend at least, and hey, you know, do the research. I did the research before, like, before I put this in my eye, you know, to, to, to treat the sty. But, uh, you know, do your research. Like, there's no excuse. You, you have it all at your fingertips. You know, and it wasn't easy, actually. I looked up uh, colloidal gold safe for, for eyes. And, you know, did, was it the deciding factor? I don't know. It definitely didn't hurt. Um, it's safe. It's non-toxic. Same with colloidal silver, and, and, and they have colloidal silver there, too. Um, but specifically, gold has antibacterial properties. And this is a bacterial infection in a clogged pore in an irritated portion of your eyelid. So it's been really helpful. So it's been nice this weekend. Hopefully it'll be just a day or two. And uh, and I'll be back to slapping makeup on to hide this and stuff. I I'm still sent up to work on the censorship thing. This is still like you know CJ. You should know this is still like a little bit of an effort for me. <laughs> like I've been I've been saying, oh, we're doing an internet production. We can say whatever. Ah, uh, mm, mm. uh, the censorship police have come to the internet. It's a sad day for independent media, but it's it, it's we it's just a sad day. We've been creeping up on this for a while. Jim, no super chats yet this morning. I, I understand. Uh, 
But any any hot comments you want to yeah, share? Well, I was like in this some political prisoner too when you were flipping the bird. He said that's the freedom salute. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> the name of that. So if we just call it that, that's the bird, right? Something different. You know what? Um, this reminds me of uh, one of the fun things we get to do for Gardenia uh, over the next year. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, here at the Garden of Freedom, my soon-to-be constitutional propertarian monarchy, which is that, uh, what that means, this is a righteous, voluntary form of government, right? It's a, it's a where it's, it's basically just me asserting that my, my ownership of this land constitutes the sovereign right to govern it and to be an independent government. And so we are, uh, and well, at one point we declared our sovereignty here like two years ago, but it was kind of like, screw you, we're sovereign, just casual one-off in a video. And I, it wasn't really doing it right, you know, either de- and for declaring independence. And so what we're going to be doing is announcing, um, I really got to get ready for this, on Independence Day this year, our intent to properly declare our independence with full diplomatic relations to our government neighbors in the United States on Independence Day the year following. And so this whole year between this Independence Day and next Independence Day, we get to go talk to, you know, the Sheriff's Department and say, you know, hey, we'd like, we're, we're going to be declaring our sovereignty and, uh, you know, we'd like to negotiate peaceful relations and so, like, in a way, we're we're showing a this could be the first phase of of the next American Revolution, and I don't I don't mean to oversell it, but to me, it already is. Uh, you know, as, as localization and decentralization and ending the central un-American American federal government. And one of the things that you know we we get to talk to like the fire department, like when we had the fire out here last year, just to make sure that they know. Hey, you are entering a foreign country. We, we, uh, you know, the, the, these. This is our, this is our constitution. We can show them, and it'll be a lot simpler than the U.S. Constitution. But it'll say, Adam can amend this at any time and make it official by either notifying all citizens of Gardenia or changing it on the website. <laughs> our constitution has changed. That's it. Like that's that's how you do it in the modern age, right? And to, to negotiate terms with, you know, we'd probably reach out to the United States State Department. I think, you know, probably not hear back from them at all or get some silly boilerplate response. But we will we'll at least be able to say over the course of the year we did all of our due diligence to make sure that we can have a peaceful separation, a thoughtful one. And now when you, th- you think about the American Revolution, uh, I, I don't want to blame the founders and be like, oh, you could have done it like this. It could have been so much more peaceful. We could have had a revolution without a war, you know, because uh, back then it really was King George forcing his will on the colonies. And when they said, you know, we're going to be independent, he said, all right, well, we're, we're going to come shoot you. <laughs> there, there, but there was a, there, you know, there was an attempt, you know, to declare and to be peaceful and to petition. And there was a process there. And in that day and age, well, shit, with those people here and these people here, it came to war. It doesn't have to be that way in the modern era, in the age of the Internet. We can have peaceful separations. And 
to what extent our sovereignty will be respected a year from now, who knows? But to, as far as it goes in the United States, this is already about as good as it gets and way better than living in an incorporated city or a homeowners association or some other area where you pay a lot in property taxes, which for me here are negligible. And I, I need to fill out a form. I think I'm able to opt out as a, as a disabled veteran officially through the VA. So by declaring our sovereignty, it's just like, you know, we're, we're peacefully asking for, you know, these terms and as much as we can get. And the sovereignty that we have here, we are, or the freedom that we have here, we are going to claim it as sovereignty. And whatever you will give us, you know, we, we're not going to fight for it. Like, well, I mean, to what extent would we fight to defend the sovereignty of Gardenia? Uh, would we ever resort to physical force? You know, I, I don't think so. If, if the United States, we, we, we submit to the overwhelming force and violence represented by the United States government, should they attempt to challenge our sovereignty with force and violence? Yeah, we're, we're committed to, to nonviolence in this, or at least to the non-aggression principle, certainly. And I think generally, tactically committed to recognizing overwhelming force and not going on suicide mission, not escalating. So, I mean, would we use force to defend it? Like, yeah, we'll put up a gate. I mean, is, is, if, you know, force as a barrier? Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Um, would, you know, would we keep the gate closed and, and keep cops out? Yeah, if, if, uh, but if, if a cop, you know, if a cop scaled the wall to do something here, like, I, I don't know what, or to come and arrest it, like, if they send a SWAT team, really, like, to arrest me, or anything, we're not going to do another Waco or Ruby Ridge or anything like that. Like, no, we, we're, we're not, we're, we're, you know, we, we respect people being armed here, uh, but there is there is not like a plan to defend against the U.S. military, right? You know, we're we're going to be petitioning for foreign aid under you know, and and I think that's going to be a fun way to either get the federal government to give us a, a giant chunk of money, or to expose the hypocrisy in the foreign aid system. Be like, well, you gave money to that country because. You know, you said it was because they had a poverty level of, well, look at our average citizen here, because we're going to live, I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll have a high income average here, depending on how things develop. Certainly a richer and better life, although by U.S. dollar measured income, if everybody's making money through crypto and gold and silver and barter, you know, we can say, look, on paper, our incomes are very low. <laughs> All right. Um, so there's a lot we can do with that. And that's the... Uh, Gardenia Independence Project and the United Nations of Freedom Micronation Project, if you will. Really, the United Nations of Freedom is not a micronation project. It's actually the United Nations of Freedom is, you know, it's like the United Nations, except that it cares about freedom. And the uh, scope, you know, it, it depends on who wants to join. If we end up with, you know, we start with, I think the micronations project is a project of the United Nations of Freedom to encourage people to claim sovereignty and assert their micronation status. And this is why I'm really excited about CHAZ as a weakening of the paradigm of, well, the government's always been this way, so this is how it's always got to be. Well, no, you want to declare your independence? Do that. And you know, the only libertarian, it's funny, this is what I've been getting into with people a lot on Twitter uh, over the weekend. Yeah, because I've been supporting Chaz. And what is Chaz? It's a bunch of leftists and, and mostly, yes, ANCOMs and ANSOCs and, and, and other kinds of liberals uh, 
creating an autonomous zone because they wanted a way to protest. You know, it's, it's more like, uh, you know, Occupy, Occupy Wall Street than, than, than a real micronation or sovereignty project because it's done, you know, born out of protest rather than, you know, a thoughtful, hey, we're going to have our own sovereign unit over here and we represent the sovereign community and we're going to do it thoughtfully and peacefully and we're going to have, you know, clear, whatever the authority is and it's, it has to be based on property and consent, right? Uh, there's going to be clear authority and, 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 you know, agreements about people living together and what the terms are of, of this community. You know, obviously it didn't have that. It, it is haphazard. There are major problems with it if there's a violation. Obviously there, <clears throat> there's a lot of crime involved with it. Um, and by that I mean, like, you know, real crime. Uh, but how much of that is infiltrators? You know, w- would you look at the colonies and be like, well, you know, the American Revolution really shouldn't have happened because, you know, rates of rape were, were much higher back then. And murder, you know, murder rates were real. There was a lot of crime in the colony. And there was slavery, you know, there was slavery. You know, because the colony, and really, actually, that's, that would be a legitimate. Like, it, it's funny to hear people say, well, when the South seceded, it was about slavery. But when the colonies seceded, it was about freedom from the British Empire. It's like, well, for the Southern colonies, it was kind of about slavery, too. Although that was generally respected under the British rule, that wasn't an immediate factor. But to establish freedom and maintain slave state status, that was that was part of the, uh, you know, part of it for them. So today, but the idea of declaring your sovereignty for whatever reason and doing it as peacefully as possible, I think this is a, a beautiful step forward that Chaz represents an, an amazing example of. And I've, I've heard a lot of libertarians go, Adam, you're, and, and we dealt with this in the show last week, right? Adam, you're defending communists. Yeah. I'm not defending communism. I, I'm defending communists. I'm supporting, like, if, if a communist came to save your life in a car wreck, like, you would support the communist saving your life. Right? Not being a communist. You wouldn't support communism. I'm not supporting any of what they're doing within Chaz that is coercive. If it's voluntary socialism, voluntary cooperation, mutualism, whatever it is they're creating, if it's by voluntary association without coercion, and most of what they're accomplishing is, then, then that I support. The, the bigger ideology of, of, you know, coercion of socialism or communism, of course I don't support that. But this is really important for all of us. As Franklin said, right, if, if, if we don't, was it Franklin? If we don't hang together, we, surely we will all hang separately. Or was that Adams? Doesn't matter. It's a great, it's a great concept, right? Is that if, if, we, if we don't unite against the powers that be, they will be able to keep us divided. We will hang separately. We will, and, and the reality today isn't hanging. You're not going to die. I mean, you might die earlier because of, you know, all the chronic effects related to statism in the American government today. But, you know, are, are you going to die? Like, no, that's not that. But we, we have to stand for justice, for, for the right thing consistently. Like me defending Roger Stone. I am not a Trump supporter. I'm a friend of Roger Stone. I see him getting legally railroaded. I'm going to call it out. And I think he's a libertarian at heart anyway in a real powerful way. So that's, there's another reason to support Roger Stone. But I'm not supporting his worldview. 
I'm not supporting Trump. Like, if people are using all these dishonest arguments to attack Chaz and to attack me for supporting this idea because what they're doing is a beautiful assertion of, hey, we're not going to be part of your system anymore. We're opting out. Screw you. And they achieved it by historical standards extremely peacefully. And in terms of establishing what they did, like what they actually accomplished by getting the police to abandon the third precinct, or not the third, was it, was it the third precinct? No, that was Minneapolis that burned out. Uh, East Precinct or something like that in uh, the Capitol Hill region. All right, there we have it. Yes, I was right the first time. Benjamin Franklin, we must indeed all hang together or must assuredly, most assuredly, is it must or most? Most. We shall all hang separately. Very important idea. Very important part of, of American history and understanding what made the revolution possible. People hanging together who otherwise would have hung separately. So are we going to let Chaz hang? Now, a bunch of libertarians talking on the internet are not going to be the deciding factor, necessarily, on whether or not the Chaz becomes something sustainable. I hope it does. Like, I'm, I'm really rooting for it. And I, if, if you're in Seattle, if you're in that area, and you can get out there and be on the ground and be a positive influence and support them in, in you know, not in anything they're doing that is involuntary, that is coercive, but in what they are doing that is, uh, you know, maintaining the sovereignty of that area. Now, some people have said, you know, oh, my gosh, Adam, but there are private property owners in there. Well, it's government streets. It's a lot of – it's government parks. If people want to opt out with their private property, you're like, yeah, let's help them make sure that they have the right to, you know, defect back to the United States, you know, and, and see if, if we can make this in and of itself a, a truly righteous uh, enterprise. And for the libertarians who are attacking this, and I think a lot a lot of people who, who claim to love freedom who are attacking Chaz uh, are doing so because they're insecure. I know this is a, a hard pill for a lot of libertarians to swallow, uh, a lot of conservatives, you know. But, yeah, these are lefties doing this. Like, can you support someone doing something righteous and important even if you disagree with their worldview? That's kind of important for the hanging together part to work here. And it's like a lot of these people who who are threatened by this, like their insecurity is pain. Like it's it's trigger, triggering for a lot of you know freedom loving libertarians and conservatives who who really should be going ah crap they beat us to it let's support them and and hope they establish a, a path that that we can follow in their wake on and and establish freedom for ourselves too or or let's support them and. Make sure that this right to declare your independence, <clears throat> this essential American right, is practical and useful in America today. Not just some words on paper from the past. Let's bring this to life and make it meaningful. And instead, they're, they're saying, well, because the people who are doing it don't agree with me on absolutely everything, and there, there are all these dirty hippie leftists, uh, well, I, that, what they're doing must be illegitimate. I'm not going to support them. And it's like, what you're really trying to say is 
I wish I had the guts to do that. And those of us who do are celebrating this. And there are a lot of people on the fence. Do I attack this or not? Do I just look at it and laugh at it? And it really doesn't matter. As long as you take away this important lesson from it, you do have the guts to do this. You can. You're a human being, goddammit. Your life has value. As Mr. Beale said on Network in the movie, you have the right to declare your sovereignty, to declare your independence as an individual, as a community, as a political subgroup of a larger group. It is wrong to force you without your consent into a system that you do not want to be a part of. As MLK said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I hope that the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone can become a just and righteous project. Top to bottom. And something in a truly sustainable way. If you care about freedom, you will celebrate and support anyone declaring their independence as they have with the chats. Any comments before we get into the headlines here, Jim, now that we're 40 minutes into today's show? We were supposed to have an interview, uh, a guest from Chaz today. So I guess uh, since oh, yeah. Tita says we he really haven't... Said that he would let me know. Yeah, all right. Confirmed. So we got time to do some headlines. Maybe we'll get to our happiness block today. Maybe so. Um, well, yeah, Jane is checking in and saying hi. The device is right. disgusting. Live and let live. Yeah, and and you know, I, th- thank you, Joey. I, I think that's you know a really important perspective on this is that Chaz is being used as a divisive issue, uh, and and I think there are a lot of and, and one of the one of the one of the problems with it. Uh, weaknesses as a project is that they don't have a reasonable plan for security. It's really it, it's really not a secure area. It's just a group of people have voluntarily come together in this area to keep police out. And you go, well, is that really, you know, is, is that really something that sustainably defines a community? You know, and it, it and it's so easy to infiltrate. That's that's my biggest threat. Like here at the Garden of Freedom, yeah, you you could infiltrate if if you you know deceptively, you know, came in under false pretense. But you're you can't come here and be a part of what we're doing like anonymously. You're accountable for your actions here. Whereas with the Capital Autonomous Zone. You can walk in wearing a mask. I mean, the thing about the checkpoints, it's so dumb. Well, they're charging. No. Like, there's so many people, and and this really shows the bias of the people who, you know, who are threatened by this, is that they resort to intellectually dishonest criticism. And there are plenty of things to criticize about Chaz. Like, I'm not, you know, rose-colored glasses over here about 
Uh, but when they're like, well, they're doing this and they're doing that, and therefore the whole project is illegitimate, you go, mm-hmm. And then I've heard people with the same dishonest attacks about me. Well, you supported them, therefore you're responsible for all the wrong things. Like, like if someone on Twitter is trying to just like, I'm responsible for, for rapes and assaults that are happening there. Like, uh, uh-huh, okay. Anyway, uh, so there would be, but it'd be really easy just walking with a mask and with, you know, five, five dudes, right? Like the incident where, like, there was a Christian street preacher who got, who got attacked. And, you know, for, for the lefties there who, who are, like, offended by, you know, a Christian street preacher and say, you know, you're not welcome in our community. This is, this is public space here. Before this, we want, we will voluntarily let you know that you're not welcome. To, you know, surround him and chant at him or drown him out or, you know, be annoyed. Like, those are all legitimate forms of protest in a voluntary space where, you know, both people have a, a you know, a right to be. Um, but no, he got mobbed and, like, physically assaulted. And it was, it was really ugly what happened to him. So is, does that represent Chaz as a whole? No, absolutely not. You say, well, look at Chaz as a whole. It's homeless people. And, crazy people, there's a guy with a machete, like, yeah, like, Occupy, like, the way it was before in a downtown area of Seattle where homelessness is a big problem. You go, like, well, look, there are crazy homeless people on the Chaz. They were there before it became the Chaz. But it would be really easy just to have five people, like, if you if you were a, a, if you're a group of crazy conservatives in Seattle, and you want to make Chaz look bad. You get dressed up all in black. You walk in with masks individually. You circulate around. You do weird stuff or just normal stuff. And you're just kind of part of the – and then Christian guy shows up. And you go, should we get this guy? And, he's just, and you let, let's, let's pretend we're gay and we're going to go up and kiss him. And we're going to, you know, you, you know it'd be really easy. And I'm saying even for a group of conservatives, what about government? And to point out the hip- I, my favorite tweet, it didn't do very well on the subject, but my favorite tweet on the subject was Donald Trump. We have to stop these terrorist, communist, Antifa people from ruining America. Also Trump. We have to stop these terrorist, communist, Antifa people from leaving America. Like, let them leave. Let them have the chance. Like, why not? You know, and one of the comments I saw that I actually thought was kind of cool is, well, what Trump should really do is give him 500 acres in the Nevada desert and tell him to have at it, you know, or the, for the state of Washington to do that. To say, like, hey, you want an autonomous zone? You, we're going to make a special grant for you guys. Look, we've got all this government land in the state of Washington that we control. Um, how big is the Chaz? It's this many acres. Well, you know, we, we don't feel like you have a right to use our infrastructure. You know, we could cut it off at any time. Um, we, we really don't like what this represents for the functioning of the city, but you want an autonomous zone. Here it is. How about it? And, you know, for the federal government, like, cut them off. Like, well, no, I mean, there should be, like, free trade across borders. There should be international trade. Here libertarians go, cut them off, cut them off. It's like, wait, because they're lefties, you don't believe in free trade anymore? Like, no. All right, so let's get to some uh, – any, any other hot comments before we jump into the headlines? Uh, Anarcho Mac from Periscope. All right, Periscope comment. If we can't learn something from this, we are too closed-minded to learn it. Yeah, yeah, you good comment. Yeah, and, and 
I mean, you got to support them, even if you really don't like the way, like, and like I said, I don't like the way this is happening. I don't support the way that Chaz is doing this. I don't support a protest taking over part of a city. I support a community of people for whatever reasons they come up with, and they have legitimate reasons to say we declare our sovereignty and assert that and claim this territory as sovereign. That I support 100%, and there's a lot to learn a lot in the uh, teaching moment that we have here. All right, from APnews.com, Trump rally called dangerous move in age of coronavirus. After months away from the campaign trail, President Donald Trump plans to rally his supporters next Saturday for the first time since most of the country was shuttered by the coronavirus. Stop lying, associate. Who is this? Carla Johnson and Jill. These are AP staff writers. You know, like, I'm not. But no, the Associated Press has accepted this framework of propaganda. And there's a lot. I, I can't even get through the first paragraph of the story without going, there's a lie baked into this. Most of the country was shuttered by the coronavirus. Jim. Did, did the coronavirus, because you lost your job, yeah. did, did the coronavirus come to your, your place of business and knock on the door and say, hey, guys, I'm here. Because I'm here, you, you have to shut down now. We're not going to let you operate in the city. Is that how it happened? No, it was no, no not great. It was a no, <laughs> the coronavirus, no, not great. Yeah. Just obviously, this is just, and it's such an obvious lie that bolsters the basic government lie of we shut down the economy, we created a forced unemployment crisis to protect you from the coronavirus. It's because of the coronavirus. But now they're going to, like, th- this is so blatantly dishonest in the wording of this, since most of the country was shuttered by the coronavirus. Now, you could say it, 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 would, it would be an honest misunderstanding if you said, shuttered by government due to the coronavirus. If you said, it would still be inaccurate because you're saying, because it would be more accurate to say using the coronavirus as the excuse. You know, or using, and then, okay, maybe in proper objective journalism, you don't, you don't say excuse even. You say the economy was shut down by the government with the justification that it used being coronavirus. Now you're being like journal. That would be sort of the, the objective, journalistically correct way of stating. Obviously, there's no such thing as a fully objective journalism here. But this, this, this is a freaking lie. Shuttered by the coronavirus. So you can't. Thomas Jefferson, a person who reads newspapers, is you know less informed than someone who reads nothing at all. Or, or you know, you read if, if you if you don't read, you're uninformed. If you read newspapers, you're misinformed. Ugh. But health experts are questioning the decision. Trump led to Tulsa, Oklahoma state. There's been rel- seen relatively few COVID-19 cases yet. The Tulsa City County Health Department's director told the Tulsa World over the weekend that he wished the Trump campaign would move the date back because of a significant increase in our case trends. Now again, coming from a government health department official, this is a bureaucrat who goes, oh, my gosh, suddenly my job is important. I've been sitting here, you know, enjoying a paycheck, but now my dream has come true. 
I get the authority badge of government to go along with everything that I'm doing as the health inspector, and I'm hugely more important than ever before. I don't even have to do more work. You know, I just still just nine to five, and, you know, now I get to do interviews and, and, and make big, important decisions. And not only that, but I'm like super bureaucrat now because I have meaningful power that I can use to enrich myself, right? I can, uh, you know, I, I can can sell off favors by, you know, manipulating the conversation one way or another. I can advise uh, a shutdown for the the city of Tulsa. And I could, you know, say, well, it doesn't apply to the businesses owned by people who, you know, who, who are giving me kickbacks, who are sending me bribes. Or, you know, in, if you don't think this doesn't happen all the freaking time, you know, you're really naive. When, when you create the systemic opportunities for corruption that government does, Corruption happens, and, and, and that's what it looks like. Uh, as he said, this is Dr. Bruce Dart. I'm concerned about our ability to protect anyone who attends a large indoor event, and I'm also concerned about our ability to ensure the president stays safe as well. That's a stretch. President Trump travels to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You think he's def- def- depending on the Tulsa City County Health Department's director? To keep him safe, get real. And it's it's really funny that, that it's happening this way. We'll go to the next story from MSN.com via the Miami Herald and Miami Day dueling rallies in support of Black Lives Matter and President Trump. Now, fun misinterpretation of this headline could be, there's a rally for Black Lives Matter and President Trump that thinks you should have cake at your rally, and then there's another rally for Black Lives Matter and President Trump that think they should have pie at their rally, and you have these dueling rallies that are in support of Black Lives Matter and President Trump trying to be the best Black Lives Matter and President Trump fusion events. It's like, no, obviously that's not the case. Peaceful protests in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and President Donald Trump were held simultaneously around Miami-Dade on Sunday, a literal manifestation of the deep schism that has divided the country after the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minnesota police. This isn't even a good divide. Like, it's not even straight liberal conservative, which would, it would at least be a sort of more demographically substantive divide than active Trump supporters versus BLM supporters. Not that they're insignificant demographics, but... Why? Why is this happening? Uh, it's all manipulation, right? It's all set up. Like, why is this happening now? So let's skip ahead to the sun.com. Next story. Lady Troubles. Trump losing female vote to Biden by a historic margin, not seen in more than 50 years. But men still on his side. Scroll down a little there for these numbers real quick, CJ. This is very, very telling. Thank you, CJ. So, this is a very simple survey, uh, plus or minus 3.6 percentage points, and, you know, looking at the source of this, you know, polling compiled by the New York Times, I'm going to give it credit for being mostly fair as a poll, right? Is it, do I, do, do I, like, do they ask about Joe Jorgensen? Did, did they let people know, hey, there's a libertarian option. We have a female nominee, by the way, for those of you 
who that's important to. It shouldn't be, but I get it. It is. Uh, no. So the, there's that. Is there is there is there a bias in the manipulation of this poll? Yeah, probably. You know, it, it is. You know, a leftist ish media outlet we're talking about here. You know, um, but if you look at the split, up back to the numbers, please, CJ. Among men, Biden forty four, Trump forty six. Slight edge to Trump. But more or less neck and neck. Then you go to among women, Biden 56, Trump 36. Holy crap. Wow. I mean, even if they're both off by 3.6 percentage points because of the margin, even if, you know, giving the, it's hugely significant. I mean, even if you, like, take off right, eight points. You go, well, it's only 12%. It's not a 20% difference. That's still huge, as Trump would say. Now, why is this happening now? And, uh, you know, let's see, it was a 19-point disparity between the two rivals earlier this year, and Hillary Clinton had a 14-point lead in polls leading up to the 2016 election won by Trump. Democrat Lyndon Johnson won the women's vote by 24 points in 64 when he toppled Goldwater, but Biden has a chance to surpass that number. Women have generally generally leaned to Democrat candidates, but that trend has intensified with Trump. According to Morley Winograd, Winograd, a senior fellow at USC's Annenberg School Center on Communication Leadership and Policy, we think it's a reflection of a trend that started quite some time ago with the gender gap that really accelerated after Trump got elected, interestingly. So, sometimes, uh, you know, Biden is significantly worse with male voters, but uh, Biden has an overall edge among voters altogether, 52-41. Like, that's what, you you take this average out, and, you know, I don't want to, even the numbers in this story are they're citing different polls that are slightly off from the, the one that we showed you the graphic of. Uh, Biden is also dominating among young voters, 56, 34. That's an 18 to 34 demographic. Uh, but also in 65 and older, uh, 51, 44. So smaller uh, gap there by contrast. But again, 10 point lead. Looks like a dominant margin. Now, here's the interesting thing about this female divide with Trump support now, is that it's intensified recently. Has Trump made any sexist comments recently? Jim, have, you, is, have there been any new sexual assault allegations against Trump recently? I mean, I'm sure they're like every day there's some. There's some. Some crazy woman comes. Oh, well, I could credit. I could I, maybe I could convince people that he assaulted me too. Let me see and file her. Most of them. But have, have there been any credible recent sexual? Has has have, have gender issues with Trump even come up at all since coronavirus? At least I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm sure he said some things that are offensive to women here and there, like. You know, language on Twitter, maybe, you know, but nothing. And I'm giving Trump credit here. Like, there's nothing significant about this. And 
I think this speaks to the level of intelligence, at least, of women voters. Now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously most of them are status and, and unconscious to ethics and politics as a whole, but more than I think, I think, I still think they're paying attention more than most men might give them credit for, at least in the sense that, um, well, first of all, they're not all flocking to Joe Jorgensen. They're not all going, oh, well, the Libertarians elected a female. Well, let's vote Libertarian. If only it was that simple, right? But they're not, they, they didn't fail Trump over the petty stuff. So to uh, Bloomberg via MSN.com, our next story, most Americans say wealth hasn't improved during Trump years. The Trump bump hasn't benefited most Americans with fewer than one in six saying their personal finances have improved since Donald Trump became president, according to a survey commissioned by Bankrate.com. Almost twice as many respondents say they're worse off since Trump moved into the White House in January 2017, while about half of the U.S. adults polled, 45%, said their financial situation stayed about the same. Now, COVID-19, you're thinking, well, Adam, everybody's suffering under Corona. Of course, it's going to, no. COVID-19 is only partly to blame. Three out of five of those surveyed said they failed to see any improvement in their personal wealth during Trump's presidency, even before coronavirus slammed the U.S., created the economy. Well, no, the coronavirus didn't do, didn't create the economy. And aid in the stock market gains over the past three years. So there's an infographic, if you want to pull this up, just have this next to me, CJ. It's not the most obvious one, but you see the yellow there is people who saw it was better pre-pandemic. Even pre-pandemic, you know, only about, what, 25, 30-ish percent of Americans said it was better. The majority said the same, and that blue bar to the right represented people who thought it was worse. Now, the economy, economic prosperity, just quality of life, should just be getting better all the, all, all the time. And in, in a in a true fair market, a free market, you know, across the board in the United States, you know, what would I expect these results to be? You know, with the libertarian president, you know, not everybody, like even in a, in a market, you know, it, a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, and, and certainly the, you know, libertarian society does not guarantee that there won't be violence and exploitation, but a government world, dominated world, guarantees that there will be. And getting rid of that guarantees that there will be less and there will be more prosperity. So, like, you know, in a market, you know, how many how many years out of 10 is someone going to have a downturn or an average year? You know, I, I think right now we see a lot of economic suffering that we just sort of take for granted. You, you know, take out the government in, in your mind, examine this just as a thought exercise. With, without government cutting your income in half, basically, with taxation, uh, without government red tape restricting y- your economic activity or ability to start a business, um, to, to save and invest in, in, in uh, a way that's really in line with our potential as an economy. You know, Jim, was it fair to say, like, you might, in, in 10 years, I think this is conservative. I think most people could expect every year you're going to have solid growth. But being very conservative, even even with all the government bullshit, you know, an average person should be able to, you know, in 10 years have, you know, 8 out of 10 years be positive, be net positive. Maybe one year that's neutral and one that's negative. Kind of allowing for that. Is that fair? So, CJ, back to that graphic. I mean, it should be mostly yellow. 
Like in, in, in a free society, you know, eight, eight out of ten years, at least you're going, you know, things got better for me. You know, and that gray bar should be one in ten, and that, that blue bar should be another one in ten. By the way, that red on the, on the right is N.A. is in, like, declined to state or couldn't answer or whatever. But now you look at the lower bar here post-corona as of June, and most Americans are going to rightly, to some degree, blame Trump for their economic situation. And even if they go, well, it was the state governors that had the, the actual lockdown and forced unemployment part of the crisis that really affected me. That was Trump's national emergency. And when it comes time to vote for president, did he do anything about it? Remember, as James Carville said about why Trump beat, excuse me, why Clinton beat Bush the first in 92, it's the economy, stupid. Was that a good Cajun impersonation of Carville? Anyway, skipping ahead to the next story from Daily Mail, Donald Trump bizarrely claims Iran 10 feet to the ground after video shows him unsteady on his feet and struggling to drink a glass of water at West Point graduation. A psychiatrist says he needs a brain scan. Twitter is reacting to images of Trump giving West Point graduation speech. He used two hands to sip from a cup of water, as he has done before. President Trump also appeared to have trouble descending steps after the speech. Trump mentioned, mentioned the evils of slavery in his speech to new officers. Um, can, we, can we scroll down on this story, CJ? All right, you all already got the video. Awesome. So this thing with the, you'll, you'll see in a second, I think with the, 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 the cup, you know, he picks it up and then is like, can't get it to his lips and he uses, uh, it, it's weird. Now, if it was just that, like, I would try to explain it away. And say, you know what, I've had weird shoulder injuries. I've had pinched nerves. You know, if he has like a, it could just be, hey, I have a recurrent, and of course it's Donald Trump. He's the liar in chief. He's going he's gonna to lie about whatever it is. You know, and if he came out and honestly said like, you know, I've got, I slept, I have this weird thing in my back. I sleep on it funny sometimes. And then I get this pinched nerve thing and I can't lift my arm like this. And I have to do this, if I forget to use my other hand, I have to either put the glass down or do this dorky thing with both hands. And that's it. And be like, okay, no big deal. Cool. <clears throat> now there's all this other stuff. You know, and he doesn't give you an honest explanation. Because he, he could say that, and on top of everything else, it would be fine. Now he's like, you know what? Dude, I'm 74 years old. And he's, honestly, he's pretty healthy and vibrant for a 74-year-old. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion nobody's qualified to be commander-in-chief, and, and there should be. You know, nobody should have this authority that depends on, you know, if they go crazy, they can still push the red button or, or do something, you know, really harmful like that. So is he qualified for a job? Like, you know, I, I wouldn't want someone of his age. And, you know, I think if you had an objective test of his mental faculties and reliability, consistency, and integrity, he'd score pretty low. Would you go, mm, get this guy's finger off the red button? Or any important levers of power, even if it's a voluntary, you know, organizational thing. But now, with all of this, I think it's safe to say that he's done. For 2020, anyway. And a lot of people said he never had a chance of getting elected in the first place. And he overcame huge odds. You know, like that article said, he was down, you know, something like the same margin, about 10 points to, to Clinton. And it's not like with Biden we have some great alternative. Biden is terrible. <clears throat> Ideologically, as a candidate, health-wise, 
He's is he, is he seventy also? Seventy years old? Yeah, he's or is it more than that? But he's failing. You know, unlike you can tell in his interviews, and he's he's terrible on policy. He's terrible on integrity. You know, he he represents the, the the depths of the political swamp of the seventy seven. Wow. So Biden's seventy seven. Trump is seventy four. Right. And this is this is just kind of funny. The, uh, the the little physical stuff. People saying he's been swaying uh, at ceremonies, and you know, uh, not able to stand up straight for extended periods. So, to the next story, to kind of sum this all up, we go to Gallup.com um, and say what you will about Gallup's pro-authority slant. It is a credible polling organization. I think we can generally have faith in, in the numbers when Gallup, you know, publishes these. And you ask them, to, or you look at the data directly, <clears throat> and you, you look at the questions they use to make sure you, you, you incorporate into your analysis or your credibility assessment of the statistics, you know, what question did they actually use. So, 42% extremely, I'm oh, sorry, the headline is U.S. National Pride falls to record low. 42% extremely and 21% very proud to be an American. Republicans price down sharply in the past year. First time extreme pride among whites below 50%. Non-whites is now 24%. American pride has continued its downward trajectory, reaching the lowest point in the two decades of Gallup measurement. The new low comes at a time when the U.S. faces public health and economic crises brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. See, at least that's honest. Economic, public health and economic crises brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. You know, I think it's a little more better than the economy was shut down, right, by the virus. And civil unrest following the death of George Floyd in police custody. Although the majority of adults in the U.S. still say they are extremely proud, 42% are very proud, 21%. Both readings are the lowest they have been since Gallup's initial measurement in 2001. Now, if I'm going to talk about pride, I got to, you know, I got to, someone's going to ask, well, Adam, would you, how would you answer this question, right? Now, I want to, uh, so the question itself is, if you pull up that graph where you can see from 2001, you can see the line, that, and you can see where it is now, it's the lowest. And the question is, how proud are you to be an American? Extremely proud, very proud, moderately proud, only a little proud, or not at all proud. Now, I can I kind of want to go both ways on this. If I was knee-jerk reaction to a poll, extremely proud. What it means to be American is not the current state of the country to me or politics or anything like it's a because this is the this is how we got to the level of freedom that we have today from it from at least the tyranny of, of monarchies like King George to you know decentralized democratic republics that end up as runaway bureaucratic governments like we're in with this phase of, of America today. But I'm that, that what with what the American Revolution, the birth of this country represented to the world to say, screw you to the king, we're gonna be independent. Um I'm extremely proud to be connected to that heritage in any way. But it's sort of like I have a problem with pride itself. You know what? what 
it's it's a deadly sin. There's a re- like, it, it, I, it, you know, as a practitioner of nonviolent communication and as a fan of precise language, I don't like the word pride at all. It, it it's kind of coming from a childish place of um, a childish level of emotional maturity. I, I get something done here and, you know, get some labor done or build something or make a good video and I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm happy. But proud? Not a regular emotion for me. And it's an emotion. Right? And they're asking and it, it, it's kind of, um, I mean, I guess you can kind of abstract it out and make it more of an intellectual concept. How proud are you? Like, how satisfied are you? And it's until all of these things tied in together, right? Because I, I, you know, you know, I would go to one extreme or the other. I'm either not proud at all ever, you know, because I'm always going to look at the the heinous crimes of the U.S. government and and what we are all complicit in as U.S. citizens. Say we should be ashamed, but I don't see that's the thing. Is like, what's the opposite of pride? Shame. Neither of these are appropriate. Uh, I don't want to say an emotion is inappropriate because an emotion. I, I, I should say none of these. Neither of these are helpful emotions to nurture. There we go. And it's sort of like happiness, right? Is a choice. You, you you will never control as an animal your animalistic responses to stimuli. That's part of being an animal, being a human, right? You're going to be sad. You're going to be happy. You're going to be angry. All of these, you know, natural responses are going to be part of your experience as an intelligent, independent being, right? Your response to the emotions, however, is your choice. If you're sad, do you go, well, let me stay sad? Or do you go, well, let me stop and separate and at least become neutral and assess why I'm being sad and either do something about it or choose to be happy because there's no reason for me to choose to be sad, you know? Or I'm, I'm angry you know, well, do I need to respond in anger? Am I, in a, am I in a fight or flight situation? Okay, sure. But to stay in a state of anger and simmer in that? No, not appropriate. So, yeah, if, if you go, wow, look at America. Well, like, like I do. You know, I, like, I guess it's an emotional response. I look at that heritage that I'm a part of, and I can say intellectually, that's awesome. I like that. I celebrate it. I promote it. Or I can say, you know, like, you know, I, I feel pride. Okay, but I'm going to go to a place of better thought out relationship to this thing than my emotional response. Or am I ashamed or something? Like, we all have shame. It's a natural part of just human life. It's how we're programmed. You know, bad things happen. We do bad things. We have, we make mistakes. We feel shame. So I don't really buy into this emotional rubric at all. But if pride is at an all-time low, then you know what? Shame kind of uh, must be at an all-time high. And that's what's exciting. Not because there's this negative emotional response, but because out of that negative emotional response can come an appropriate, thoughtful solution. And we should be ashamed. It is a very, I should, I just, it's a very appropriate emotional response, America, to how things are going right now. You know, if America could see what America was doing to America, America would declare war on America in order to save Americans from the American regime. Yeah, it's like that at this point. 
we should be ashamed. And if you don't have a moment going, ah, crap. Uh, do I feel shame? No, because I don't take personal responsibility for the overall state of the country and allow it to affect my emotional state. My emotional state as an adult who is conscientious of these things, who has done the work on myself to, to correct the insufficiencies, the deficiencies in my own maturity as a result of my childhood traumas and, and, and lacking and, and gotten to that point and said, look, okay, I, I, have, I am now at least to a certain extent I am satisfied with my level of emotional maturity, I am not dominated by responses of shame or pride when I look at America. But I can look at a poll like this and understand and be sympathetic as someone who feels emotions as well, that pride is a thing and shame is a thing. And I hope, one way or another, that out of 2020, America can take that shame and do something rational and positive with it and grow up. And correct our mistakes. And elect Joe Jorgensen, Libertarian, for President of the United States in 2020. That's my hope. If there is enough shame critically examined, we realize that letting our country become dominated by the duopoly of Republicans and Democrats, these criminal politicians, yeah. Hopefully we can be ashamed enough to do something about it. Moving on to some more uh, light stories here about coronavirus from MiamiHerald.com. 40,000 crew still at sea. Some call for change in crew's Caribbean relationship. After 80 days at sea, three transfers between ships, four canceled flights, and one plane malfunction, Royal Caribbean Cruises music director Bruno Cruels finally touched down in his native Argentina on June 3rd, accompanied by 251 compatriots. Sitting behind the taxi's new plexiglass on the way home from the airport, with his hometown whizzing by out the window, he felt relief. I felt like I was finally safe somehow, like continuing from where I left before all this happened. As more countries loosen COVID-19 travel restrictions, crew members are slowly making their way home, about 3,000 workers from Carnival Cruise Line got off in Croatia earlier this month to catch rides and flights home across Europe. Smiling behind their masks, they posed for a selfie on the pier. Meanwhile, MSC has flown more than 1,000 Indian crew members home on charter flights. Royal Caribbean flown more than 1,200 Filipino crew members home from uh, Greece, Dubai, the U.S., and Barbados. Still, and this is nuts. This is, I, and I just, we've covered so many of, like, the bigger horrific things about the financial ripoff, the economic manipulation, the, uh, everything around corona, right? The, the actual health threat that it represents, yeah, it sucks. There's a funky flu going around that's killing old people early. Yeah, that sucks. Um... Obviously, the cure is worse than the disease. And this is just like one funny wrinkle to the story that I couldn't ignore. That was just like, holy crap. This is, you know, I don't know where it is. Oh, hey, there you go. Just doing some behind-the-scenes studio stuff with Jim here. Um, you know, I, I just had to share the story. At least 42,000 workers remain trapped on cruise ships without 
paychecks, some some still suffering from COVID-19, three months after the industry shut down. And just that language, you know, they want to blame the industry, as, you know, generally the media playing into the government narrative, you know, blame corporations so they need regulation. But no, this is government restrictions causing all of this. Um, you know, I, I've got this longer segment I want to do with the next two stories about journalism, but we're going to skip ahead so we can cover some more uh, meaningful headlines and, and hopefully get to our happiness block today. From Forbes.com, Pentagon documents reveal the U.S. as planned for a Bitcoin rebellion. By Billy Bambro, contributor, Bitcoin has struggled to find support in the U.S. government with President Donald Trump, along with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, leading the criticism. Now, it's been revealed the U.S. Department of Defense has war-gamed scenarios involving a Generation Z rebellion that uses Bitcoin to undermine and evade the establishment. Now, they're going to tell you in this war game, they won. But that's not how it's going to happen in reality. You want a war? I say we give it to them. Millennials can be part of this too, right? It doesn't have to just be a Generation Z rebellion. We are already using Bitcoin to undermine and evade the establishment. In the Pentagon war game, young people born between the mid-90s and early 2010s used cyber attacks to steal money and convert it to Bitcoin. God, old people are clutching their pearls. Young people, I hope you're taking notes. Called the 2018 Joint Land, Air, and Sea Strategic Special Program, JLAS, the war game is set in 2025. We don't have to wait until then, and is intended to reflect a plausible depiction of major trends and influences in the world regions. The scenario, which echoes recent protests in the U.S. and around the world against racial injustice, involves some members of Gen Z who see, them see, see themselves as agents for social change and believe the system is rigged against them, begin a global cyber campaign to expose injustice and corruption and to support causes it deems beneficial. Hmm. Would you like to be an agent for social change? Do you believe the system is rigged? Well, then join the global cyber campaign to expose injustice and corruption and to support whatever causes you deem beneficial. <laughs> I feel like they, they wrote the recruiting video for this thing for us in the script they came up with. The group called Zebellion. You know, I'm... Did they really have to make it a generational thing? <clears throat> you know, I kind of feel like if it comes to really taking stock of the significance in the generational divides. It's the internet generation. I thought it was the millennials. But we were Y, not Z. So we need to come with a nice end. We don't have this cool zinger to start our name with, right? So, no, you got Generation Z. But what really matters, and I think in this case, it's not just 
generations Y and Z, and I'm just trying to include myself here. And then I know at age 38, I'm on I'm on the older edge of the millennial generation, right? And you always identify with the youngers if you can. But it's not just the millennials and the Zers. It's even people older than that who have adapted to the new technological reality that we find ourselves in in this human experience. We are all the Zebellion now. And we don't have to wait for Generation Z to get old enough to step up and lead it. And more importantly, we don't really need leaders. We take the lesson from Bitcoin and decentralize all the things, including leadership, and most importantly, lead yourself. Now, somebody says, but Adam, you're a leader. No, maybe a thought leader. But even then, I'm not a leader. I'm providing an information service to you to help you better lead yourself. I am a leader by example in my own life in the way that I live, in the way that I have chosen to live, in an off-grid, homesteading lifestyle, asserting my sovereignty as best that I can. The Zebellion is not something that needs leaders. And that's why I think in this sense, we're all Generation Z. We are all the Zebellion. We are all those, well, in my case, I think I grew up with the Internet but who understand its potential and the ability for us to become the generation that wielded the Internet and brought down the systemic injustices of governments all over the world once and for all. The scenario which echoes recent protests in the U.S. and around the world against racial injustice involves some members of Gen Z who see them see see themselves oh sorry read that can I, I don't mind reading that again agents for social change who believe the system is rigged against them and begin a global cyber campaign to expose injustice and corruption the group called Zebellion encourages cyber attacks against organizations that support the establishment funneling stolen cash into Bitcoin to make small below the threshold donations to worthy recipients and Zebellion members. You know, at some point, we might get this, a big enough financial break in the dam. You know, it's funny that they call this stolen cash, right? Because they, uh, they're they allegedly saying that these people would commit fraud to, to steal and convert it to Bitcoin and crypto. The money itself is stolen from the American people in the first place. The, the entire dollar system is illegitimate. So bringing it down, they recognize this. The Pentagon is, they're telling you the playbook! Pay attention, Z-Bellers. Z-Bellion members? No, there's no membership in the Z-Bellion. It is not something that is. It is not a club with a secret handshake. It is something that you do. The program, which also reportedly war game scenarios involving Islamist militants and anti-capitalist extremists, was conducted by students and faculty from the U.S. military's war colleges, the training ground for prospective generals and admirals. i got to read this. This is so much fun. Z-Bellion. In the mid-2020s, the age demographic known as Generation Z or Gen Z began hitting 
their 30s, like the millennials who preceded them, Gen Z, were characterized as even more comfortable, if not dependent upon, technology in nearly every aspect of their lives. Social scientists frequently characterize Gen Z as having grown up with cell phone and internet usage from a very young age and interacting on social media websites for a significant portion of their socializing. Image and video intensive media are more popular among this group than textual narratives, and many Gen Z self-identify by the social media communities to which they belong. Both the September 11 terrorist attacks and the Great Recession greatly influenced the attitudes of this generation in the U.S. and resulted in a feeling of unsettlement and insecurity among Gen Z. Although millennials experienced these events during their coming-of-age, Gen Z lived through them as part of their childhood, affecting their realism and worldview. Although many Gen Z sought to avoid the financial stresses experienced by their parents, many found themselves stuck with excessive college debt when they discovered employment options did not meet their expectations. Gen Z are often described as seeking independence and opportunity, but are also among the least likely to believe there is such a thing as the American dream and that the system is rigged against them. Frequently seeing themselves as agents for social change, they crave fulfillment and excitement in their job to help move the world forward. Despite the technology proficiency they possess, Gen Z actually prefer person-to-person contact as opposed to online interaction. They describe themselves as being involved in their virtual and physical communities and as having rejected excessive consumerism. And it's worth noting that at the bottom of this document, it says, note, Notional exercise material for educational purposes only. JLAST.SPAY 2018 World Summary. I say we use this material for educational purposes to the fullest extent possible. Bitcoin has increasingly been adopted by Wall Street and the world's biggest financial institution since its 2017 price explosion, but it remains a tool to fight government control. The Pentagon war game documents have been revealed after Florida Republican Representative Matt Gates called for the government to freeze the money of demonstrators after countrywide protests over the killing of George Floyd turned violent this month. As Nathaniel Whitmore, Bitcoin cryptocurrency expert, said, one of the most important tools in the authoritarian toolkit is the ability to freeze the funding of legitimate political consent. By separating the infrastructure of money from the infrastructure of state power, Bitcoin makes it that much harder for this type of politically motivated confiscation. confiscation. Bitcoin has seen a surge of interest in recent months due to the coronavirus pandemic and never-before-seen levels of government borrowing. It's a good time to buy. In the wake of unprecedented central bank action around the COVID-19 crisis, it seemed like the most relevant narrative of Bitcoin in 2020 was as a hedge against inflation. It appears, however, that its capacity for censorship resistance might be just as relevant. And while they are desperate to keep everybody poor, a lot of us have cashed out of our crypto holdings to uh, maybe not cash out being the appropriate term since you cash out of U.S. cash to get into Bitcoin, right? But have uh, let go of savings in order to survive in challenging times. But there may be a switch 
on the horizon in terms of what is the most effective practical currency. Bitcoin may be about to make that switch. So, my fellow Z-Bellers of the Z-Bellion, Bitcoin has come to help us overthrow the great injustices in the power structures of the world today. All that's missing is you. So join the Zebellion today. That concludes this educational public service announcement. All right, a couple more quick stories. Let's see if we have time. Should we do Do we have any callers? Do we have any other hot well, No super chats. No, no super chats today. today. What's up with that? Today, people, we got 37 watching live just on the YouTube stream. And just the on chat YouTube. is eerily quiet. It's <sighs> strange. So people are really listening. Am I that good? Yeah, you're Am I engaging now, today. I wonder, you know, that, that makes me wonder because I do, you know, my like I normally start the show with an opening monologue that I consider to be like the, the most important topic of the day that we haven't covered recently connected to the news but you know a, a broader philosophical point or, or critical insight that I'm trying to share I don't feel like doing that when I gotta do this too with sunglasses and today being the new format I thought you know we used to do a rambling opener and then I didn't mean to but then that you know big I was gonna just don't go into the, the headlines about the election but then I did a, you know a big rant on you know, declaring your independence, sovereignty, and Chad, and you know, libertarian attitudes toward Chad. I didn't, I didn't plan on it. Were I, have people really? Was that? Did that cause people like? Is is when you join the chat? Is that? Do people want to like? Do people want to hear the administrative stuff up front? Like, is the warm up as engagement? I like. I mean, to me. It, it's that I want to be able to do a powerful rant with a decisive starting point, not just I ramble into it. And now I'm talking about this. I want to be like, today, this is the most important thing going on. In the world. And it's weird to do all the announcements and be like, all right, we're going to talk about what's important. Although, you know what? I could just do it like that's It's not a bad way to do it. We could try, should we try that? I mean, maybe. Can we get some feedback on this? You guys want, like, cold openers with – you know, hard-hitting rants, or do you want? Do you like these rambling openers where we start with comments and Jim and CJ and you know, get you know, getting uh producer notes and and announcements and I, I mean, we even got like a not a formal, but an, you even got a sponsorship thing in here out of the way very early on in the show with colloidal gold from the Garden of Eden in Texas. If you haven't checked this out, quick mention to remind you: High Vibe Health uh, in the website. I should make sure I get the website because I I know that their main website is into the garden of Eden.com. Okay, they don't have a separate one from this except for the product slash colloidal gold. But yeah, into the garden of Eden.com. Great website for my friend Quinaker. Check that out. All right. So dramatic cold openers or you know with rants or uh, rambling introduction openings. And any feedback. Can we just don't is, is this thing on Blake Daniel Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Blake Daniel Johannes on Facebook. Just don't do an Alex Jones style rant. I'm never Alex Jones style. Yeah. No, never. I mean, have I? He's way too over the top. I think that's what they're referring to. Maybe. I don't think you've ever been Alex Jones ish. He well, so he gets. 
he gets worked up with like anger and exasperation, right? And and frustration. And that's that's the quintessential defining attitude of an emotion set of the the Alex Jones rant. I'm assuming. <clears throat> I mean, I do get angry and frustrated, but never like for an extended period. Like when I bring that emotion into a rant, and I hope people appreciate this as part of my style. And I'm it's not conscious. I'm just kind of think, figuring this out as I'm. Yeah. talking about it but that like i'll i'll express my anger in like a sentence or two my and then i'll go back to like an intellectual analysis and i might be passionate and have like a tone of, of anger and frustration throughout a segment but not definitely not sustained over the top definitely not like yelling or losing i mean i might occasionally yell if like but i don't know I, I, maybe i don't really do that anymore i think we, I would occasionally yell at Donald Trump or yell at, but even then I don't do that. Like I just, it's not, no, it used to be, I used to do but even then it was more intellectual than emotional. Anyway, from BloombergQuint.com, Zuckerberg's neutrality sparks an internal Facebook rebellion. After Facebook decided not to take down the incendiary looting and shooting post by President Trump, its employees took to rival platform Twitter to voice displeasure with Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg. Alan Zeno, a software engineer who works at Facebook-owned Instagram, said he was utterly ashamed. Wesley Dickens, a data analyst, declared Facebook on the wrong side of history. Another software engineer, Dan Abramoff, said his team was doing a virtual walkout in solidarity with the black community. The outpouring of dissent was loud and unprecedented. Hundreds of employees participated in the walkout, which, since everyone was working from home, just meant telling their managers that they were taking the day off. <laughs> Even more changed their corporate, corporate profile pictures to all black or black and white fists with a heart in it and hashtag take action. So I, I think this is just a, a quick, uh, you know, story worth mentioning as a, a quick noteworthy thing to say, look, um, Shit, now I'm like, I'm trying to read the next story at the same time when I'm wrapping up for the last one. Uh, uh, There's been this this issue brewing for a long time within Facebook and and all social media sites. I think I like Twitter the most, you know, for for my natural. It's really the only one. I mean, so I use use the big three. You know, I haven't haven't really made the leap to, you know, an independent thing. We are going to be working on getting our email list back up as a major means of uh, communicating with supporters and an audience and getting content out so you don't have to rely uh, on alerts from you. Like, I want to I want to set up um, an email list with a bunch of different options for content. So, you know, you can get, you know, one email a day with everything in one. You can get, uh, you know, multiple emails a day if you want to know, hey, there's a live stream starting right now. Um, if you know, all of, hey, we got a super chat interrupting the show for four dollars and ninety nine cents. Thank you so much, Gangster Talk. Do you think a multiple of women will come forward accusing Joe Jorgensen of sexual assault and harassment like Trump and Biden? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You know what? We should be having more fun with the I, I, libertarians. Are so we're so intellectually honest. And, and, you know, committed to our intellectual integrity, it's like, mm, 
we're not going to play. But we should be making jokes about this. Like, maybe I should come out and accuse Joe Jorgensen of sexual harassment from one of our debates or something. Like, she groped me behind the podium. Just to make things fair or not. Are they going to try to I guess that's one place. I mean, if you think about it, like, is is a big advantage that women have in politics. If politics becomes dominated by sexual assault accusations, it's much harder to get that to stick it on a woman. Yeah, certainly, if, if a woman's caught on video groping dudes and, like, being a... But it, you don't have a penis, you don't come with the same threat. Like, literally, there's... Men have that, you know, plenty of advantages, but that huge sort of political disadvantage as well, right? You can't... A, a woman can't... I mean, yes, hypothetically... You can drug and tie down and force a man to take Viagra. You can rape a man. But you're saying you can't rape the willing is not like just about a joke about your hand or women in general. No, it's like you can't rip like a man just by the boner mechanism. I really have to get into this. Oh, it was a good funny comment. All right. But, yeah, it, that horse is dead. I'll stop. Yeah. All right, back to the headlines. Wall Street Journal. In Germany, a smorgasbord of causes results in one vast protest march. Just a quick look to get around the world. While demonstrations have remained peaceful, their size and frequency is perplexing. Authorities worried about a rebound in coronavirus cases. Yeah, that's what they're worried about. No, they're worried about revolution. They're worried about reform that is going to threaten their jobs and their government racket. From Berlin, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets across Germany on Sunday, which with demands including greener policies, immigration rights, animal rights, racial justice, and solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. The marches were the latest in a string of demonstrations that have risen in frequency and size since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, starting before the killing of George Floyd, sparked a global wave of protests against racism and police violence. So I do think, at this point, there is a kind of, oh shit, we did, oh, uh, S, oh crap, uh, we did this to, uh, <laughs> yeah, Excuse me. Like, hey, we did this to distract people from the coronavirus, but it's out of hand now. It's it's a five. And maybe it's still a controlled burn, right, by the left. And and the the left knows that they're more inclined to make change by protest than the right. The right is more inclined to make change by political action. Uh, I shouldn't say political, non protest political action. Less dramatic, right? Just by personality nature. And, you know, you, you see leftist protests are bigger than rightist protests. You know, and that protests are, are emotional expressions, right? You know, it's not an intellectual thing. We say, well, how are we going to do it? It's an emotional expression. Is it the best way to create change? No, but it does work and it, and it is helpful and it is an important mechanism of human progress. So there's a lot of manipulation of all of this going on right now. Is it a controlled burn? Is it going to get out of control? I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. And the shift towards libertarianism, you know, like you don't see a lot of libertarian protests. There are a lot of protests that are in line with libertarian causes. But look at the trend. Like just even from my experience, big protests that I've been to, you know, anti-war, clearly led, managed, dominated by the left as much as libertarians and some conservatives are like 100% on board, Right. Anti-gun stuff. Well, that's not what I went to. If any ones that I went to, like pro-cannabis, even conservatives who are pro-cannabis legalization are just anti-drug war. 
or go out and protesting. Does it bring about real change? Yeah, it's helpful. Like it's a, it's an important component of it. I don't pretend to shut out my own emotional responses from from my narrative in this show. Similarly, to enact positive social change, we shouldn't shut that out of the conversation or ignore it as a means of, of making change happen. But it is one that generally favors the left. So there's there's the noteworthy to see that it's happening similar with similar dynamics all over the world. I told you a few weeks ago we might be on the verge of a meathead revolt if they keep the gyms shut down. That prediction came true both in Texas and Florida, at very least, where we saw major civil – oh, and New Jersey, where we saw major civil disobedience around gyms opening despite government shutdown orders. To the contrary, but as I've told you as well, with businesses that operate on thin margins, if just 10% of your customer base can be scared away, you might be going bankrupt, if not just significantly reforming your business, scaling down areas, and laying off significant parts of your workforce, of course, compounding the forced unemployment crisis that we find ourselves amid. And now from BloombergQuint.com, Catherine Doherty, we see the headline, 24-hour fitness files for bankruptcy among amid onslaught of gym closures. 24-Hour Fitness Worldwide Incorporated sought court protection from its creditors unable to keep up with debt payments after the COVID-19 pandemic shut down gyms nationwide. The fitness chain's Chapter 11 petition was filed in Delaware. Such a restructuring allows the company to keep operating while it works out a plan to pay its creditors and ease its debt load of $1.4 billion dollars plus lease obligations. 24-hour lined up $250 million in so-called debtor-in-possession financing backed by its creditors to allow the company to continue operating as it starts reopening locations across the country, according to a statement on Monday. The majority of its gyms remained closed to try to stop the spread of the virus. The company isn't changing members, charging members into the shutdowns, taking its revenue down close to zero. Now, I have some big problems with this company to begin with. Now, Jim, how do you like gyms? Just, um, Jim, 24-hour fitness versus anytime fitness. I, have you been to both of these? Uh, I've been you have much of a gym goer? And I go to Planet Fitness. Okay, so Planet Fitness, really, the gym for people who don't like to work out? Yeah, the Lunk Alerts? 24-hour. Okay, so it was a matter of convenience. Okay, no, and it's a, it's a decent – actually, as a facility um, – the Planet Fitnesses I've seen are, are actually really nice, um, but they are kind of oriented away from hardcore workouts. Yeah. Um, that's fine. People yeah. want that. Yeah, and you can go have a hardcore – you just can't make noise. It's, it's a weird politeness thing. I mean, I support them as a private chain. Doing, I, like, I make noise when I work out. Like, sorry, like, you're not, you're not going to have if – if you don't have headphones on – you're either going to hear me singing or dan- and dancing around or, or grunting at different points or just, you know, I don't, I don't like forcibly grunt, but you know, I, I naturally grunt as part of the exertion as you're working hard and breathing heavy. Right. And, um, you know, that's why I prefer anytime fitness and I, I will always unpaid sponsorship here. I'm a huge booster of anytime fitness. I love it. You swipe a fob, 24-7 at any of their locations all over the country. Memberships are cheap, and they're franchises. So as far as I know, 
they don't have a national corporation in debt to the tune of $1.4 billion. And you go, you're running a national gym chain. Why are you in debt $1.4 billion? Now, do I blame you know, the corporation? No, it's it's the government financial framework around that. But at least anytime fitness is, you know, they're independent franchises. And I got to say, it was beautiful to see a lot of the gyms opening up in civil disobedience were anytime fitnesses. So I found another reason here to not like 24-hour. You know, I've been to 24-hour. They're not bad gyms. Um, but I've never really liked them. They've, they've always felt like they're ripping you off to service a debt, uh, you know, an interest fee on a $1.4 billion debt structured by government as opposed to creating a good gym experience. Just, I don't know why. I got that creeping feeling in the back of my mind when I was at, at, at those 24-hour fitnesses. Uh, anytime fitness, though, private bathrooms, independently owned and operated all over the country. It's a great system, great formula, always what you need, friendly, casual, easy environment. And they're not shut down for – even the Anytime Fitness here in Chino Valley, just my, my home gym a little bit south of us, they're open right now. The point of all of this is that while we could let – I mean, you're going to make – by the way, you can get a gym membership. Like, I don't – mine is for when I'm traveling. Twenty four Anytime Fitness is clearly the best for me when I'm traveling, hands down. When I'm at home, you know, I got my little weight pile out here in the dirt, and I can do manual labor. I really don't need to work out that much. And you're going to make your independent gym choice based on what's immediate, what's practical for you. And I support you doing that. I especially support you if it's practical. Choose Anytime Fitness. I suggest you check it out. If it works for you, get that. If not, if, you, if you're like Jim and, and, and you like it nice and quiet when you work out, you know, go to Planet Fitness. That is but not why I go there. Especially right now in this economy. Please get out there, be healthy, go to the gym, wash your hands like I would anyway before and after, touching any other thing that other people's hands are touching. But don't be, don't let germophobia stop you from being healthy, from being fit, and especially right now, stand by your gym. All right, we got another super chat. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's a tough one. Coming in right. for $5, Daniel Dean super chats. What are your thoughts on reparations for descendants of African slaves? Is there a libertarian argument in favor of them? That's a great question, Daniel. And reparations have come up uh, a lot recently in regards to the George Floyd protests and riots reinvigorating the Black Lives Movement and calling attention to racial issues in America across the board. And this is a tricky issue. Not because it's a tricky issue ethically or for libertarians, but it's or morally, if you're an ethical libertarian, uh, untangling the ethics of this is, is very simple, very easy, right? Uh, if you wrong somebody, you have a obligation to make them whole. Uh, if, if someone is for victims to be made whole is the only way that justice is achieved. What's tricky here is who are the victims? Who are the perpetrators? And what would it mean to be made whole? So when you say, well, we, you know, white Americans were responsible for slavery, therefore white Americans today should pay reparations to black Americans. No, absolutely not. No justification for that whatsoever. However, little caveat, how, how close to that could be justified as policy? Could government 
as an institution that has been enriched from taxes collected from slave owners, from the system of slavery itself, as an institution that does have, direct, I mean, because you can't say the federal government of the United States of America is a continuous corporate entity going back to the age of slavery does bear some responsibility for the institution of slavery in America. Without, you know, a lot of this is more local governments than federal, but of course federal law and everything else as well. You know, the Runaway Slave Act, if it wasn't for the ability to catch runaway slaves and use government to do it, you know, have government protecting the property of people for whom slaves are property, you wouldn't really have the institution of slavery as it is. So would it be appropriate for the federal government only. Now, here's where it gets complicated. We go, well, I don't know if the federal government does it, then that's coming from the American taxpayer. Well, if you're looking at the uh, accumulated wealth of the federal government, some of it could be said to have come from taxpayers who owned slaves in the past. Now, can you untangle the knot? There's, there's so many fungible pools of money involved here. Could you really say, well, that that went to... And so, I, in a sense, you could, you could make the libertarian case for reparations to descendants of slaves from the federal government using tax dollars or material property gained from slave owners or the institution of slavery. And then you could say there's a direct responsibility that is inheritable or that could be said to have transferred from generations where the federal government, you know, a white slave owner who has a son or a daughter, that son or daughter, those kids, if they do not deliberately in any way contribute to that institution of slavery, they can't be guilty from it. Now, if they profit from it indirectly, someone has profit from it, you know, you can say that's still that should be returned. If you can untangle that not directly, like, for example, if I can say my great-great-great-great-grandfather was a plantation owner and we have this inheritance that we have passed on from generation to generation and it's here and I can identify that this wealth that, that I now personally have was illegitimately acquired and if I can find its rightful owners, if I can trace, you know, their descent, I can say that, like, yeah, I can, there's that continuity. I don't have the responsibility to do that. I'm not the criminal in this case. But the federal government has the continuity of existence from the days of slavery to today that you can say is a continuity of responsibility, which would mean that they have to find a victim and, and make them whole. Now, here's the next thing. What is that victimhood? Now, I am not in any way disputing that blacks are, black Americans are just uniquely victims of government and society in general in the United States today. Absolutely. Who's responsible for that victimization at this point? Well, we can hold individual, account, individual actors like violent cops accountable, and we can... Uh, you know, change, we can look at the government institutions that you know, engage in systemic racism or, or things like that. But when you, when you get to that point, you look at the modern black American, you go, yeah, they've been disadvantaged a lot, but so has every poor American. We've all been ripped off. We've all been stolen from. 
And so what strikes me as a better concept of reparations is exactly what I propose in dissolving the federal government, dissolving all governments down to the voluntary uh, community level of government or, you know, individual sovereignty level. So if we do this, do we want to try to untangle the knot based on skin color, based on heritage? I certainly think that black Americans are uniquely disadvantaged today as part of the heritage, uh, the legacy of, of racism and slavery in America. I support the federal government itself and, and state governments that are sitting on massive piles of wealth that have been stolen from everybody, using part of that if they practically can to give up that power and give up that wealth, give it up to people that they can identify as disadvantaged victims. And I think if they want to start with black people, black Americans, and there's a process of going, well, we're using wealth that was gained illegitimately and we're compensating people to make them whole. You know, I I think I could support that. What what would it you know, like there are things I'd rather I'm not like actively supporting that. I don't think that's I think the best thing again, like I said with localization is reparations for everybody across the board. We don't need to say you're a special class, you're a special class, you're disadvantaged. Like, and what you know, what do you say to a, a descendant of slaves who is now rich? You know, like how do you untangle this knot when you when you look at an individual and you say, Well, you're a black person you were born into poverty when you should have been born into economic comfort. That would have been, you know, where you would have been fairly without the disadvantages of, of racism and slavery. Do we provide that? You know, but then since then you, you, you became a successful entrepreneur or criminal and now you're, you're rich in, in, in at age 40, you know, do I need to give you 40 acres and a mule and figure out a government program to get that to you? I'm more worried about the black Americans who are still suffering in poverty. And when you look at it that way, you go, well, it's all minorities. Why would you separate black people and not look at Arab Americans or Mexican Americans or Asian Americans? Now, why would you make it about race? And I think you would have to come up with an objective program. I really, in order for me to support it, it would have to be objective. And you could say, well, the legacy of slavery, if black people are disadvantaged and, and we're, we're going to include that as one way that we look at, you know, how we get rid of this pool of money from government. Okay, but it would really have to be overall colorblind and take advantage or take into into consideration the fact that there are you know, larger the larger group today of poor Americans are ones who have been ripped off by the system and by government and are in, you know deserving of their share of the liquidating assets of the federal government as much as anybody else. I think Jim, any follow up questions on that? Does that seem like a, a sort of comprehensive? libertarian ethics, property rights analysis of the issue of reparations? I feel like so, yeah. All right. So we're not going to get to our happiness block today. It's almost 11 o'clock. We are going to skim a few more headlines, though. From end of the American dream, police officers all over America are quitting their jobs because of the George Floyd protests. Now, I've seen this go both ways. I've seen them quitting because they don't think that they they should be cops anymore. And then I've seen them quitting because the government doesn't protect their right to be dickheads enough, right? Like there was the incident in Buffalo with, was it George Gugis? 
Eugenius, whatever the, uh, the the guy who got pushed on the ground and had blood coming out of his ear. You, everybody remembers that viral video from last week, right? Um, because they reprimanded the officers involved, like the entire SWAT team quit. Something like that. You go, good. You know, we're not letting you be dickhead cops anymore. If you need to be a dickhead to be a cop, go home. Find a real job. Even during the best of times, being a police officer in one of America's major cities is extremely stressful, and these are definitely not the best of times. In 2020, the entire profession has become the target for a vast nationwide outpouring of anger and hatred. It doesn't matter if you're a good officer or a bad officer, because everyone is being lumped together. Every single person that puts on a police uniform understands they are putting their lives on the line every single day, but now that is even more true than ever. All over the U.S., police officers are being attacked, abused, and targeted for violence. And I can't even imagine what it is like to never be able to let your guard down because someone could assault you at any moment. And even if you never get physically attacked, most officers still must endure the mental torment of knowing that vast numbers of people want them dead simply because they have chosen to serve in the police. No, they have chosen to serve politicians by doing violence on behalf of government. For Winchester, Tennessee, police officers, Dustin Elliott, that was, anyway. Um, I just want to point this out, positive trend. Uh, a couple quotes here. At least seven Minneapolis police officers have resigned from the department since widespread unrest began over the death of George Floyd. More than half a dozen are in the process of leaving. The departures and unusually large exodus come amid a growing crisis for the state's largest police force with a state human rights investigation underway. Calls for defunding even disbandment. Next quote, uh, the 10-member SWAT team for a Florida police department has resigned en masse after their chief knelt with racial justice protesters saying they felt restrained by the politicization of our tactics. <coughs> you won't let us be violent dickheads, so we're quitting. <coughs> we have a chief who's sympathetic with people who we disagree with, so we're quitting. Well, screw you. Really? Like, you were never here to serve in the first place then. You were here to be a dickhead. For power to me. You don't, you don't want to do the work? Then fine. Leave. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, another story. Didn't, I didn't get to pull on a uh, source from my phone. You know, people send me stories on the Telegram chat, and I pull them up on my browser. Normally, I check them and bring them into the queue before the show. I didn't do that today. I'm going to be catching up on that tomorrow. My apologies for those of you on the Patreon chat. And by the way, Jim, we didn't finish our promotion in the middle of our rambling open. We talked about our good patrons. See, I almost said Patreon. Our good patrons who give us $5 a month and get access to behind-the-scenes footage and all the cool stuff we're doing here at the Garden. For $10 a month, our better patrons get access to the backstage and the private ABTM Producers Club Telegram chat. And that's where CJ every morning posts the StreamYard link so you can watch the shows through StreamYard. We've always got a handful of people join us backstage in the virtual studio of, I guess, the Adam versus, virtually it's the Adam versus the Man studio with the No Force One satellite studio with the, uh, you know, CJ control room remotely coming in from South Dakota. For $50 a month, you also get to be my friend or have me follow you on whatever social media platform you want, and you get to be one of our best patrons, which means you get co-producer status and you're at the front of the line when we take calls. CJ, what's on your mind? Do we have anybody uh, backstage you want to jump up today? I'd say that if uh, – we do have uh, Matt back there, but he normally watches while he works. I wanted to, to, to say something. It's not, it's not the producer's club backstage access thing. It's the digital studio of freedom, sir. Right. 
Right, right. Oh, the Digital Studio of Freedom yeah. backstage area is what you get access to when you are part of the ABTM Producers Club. And you can win. Now, we give away some memberships. Last Friday, we had an awesome time giving away memberships. We had a couple contests. Uh, we really should be doing one a day. Jim, put this on your to-do list. We're going to have one just daily show formula, one contest to give away producer club membership. It's one of the things we're going to be doing every day, Monday through Friday, especially Fridays. Uh, you know, open line Fridays, casual Fridays, comment Fridays. I don't know. Maybe we'll come up with a name for it. But uh, we especially want to take calls and comments and focus on the audience on Fridays. All right, a couple other quick headlines to skim over. Elon Musk from Daily Star. Elon Musk, a year away from creating $6 million man through implanted chips. Uh, implanted chips in human brains will allow paralyzed people to walk again. Uh, similar to the 70s cult TV show, The Six Million Dollar Man, starring Lee Majors. Uh, space billionaire Elon Musk says he's just one year away from creating the Six Million Dollar Man. The eccentric tech tycoon said implanting chips into the human brain will allow paralyzed people. To, anyway, just fun stuff from the cutting edge of technology. Elon Musk perhaps just throwing out this vision as so many have, but from perhaps a more meaningful perspective coming from someone who has the resources to make it happen, saying it can happen in here. I'm pretty excited. Um, and let's see. I guess that's all of our headlines for today. Pretty much right on time. All right, two hours and one minute. We've got a couple cool stories we're going to get to today. An article from naturalnews.com comparing. This is, this is fun. Like, as long as Chaz is going, we're going to do, do a significant, you know, segment on them every day. Either we're going to have a guest or an update or – some other analysis, and from Natural News, I saw this story that I'm, I'm really excited to get into. The major difference between the Bundy, Oregon Wildlife Refuge standoff in 2016 and the BLM and PIPA standoff of 2020 at Seattle's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz. <clears throat> really looking forward to getting into the differences there. So tomorrow's show, maybe we'll do our happiness block as well. I didn't really have time to prep for it, probably, but I've been like... Over the last week, you know, and I'm not trying to do the definitive lecture on happiness, but to connect, you know, what we talk about in freedom with freedom of choice and your attitude, your mood, choosing to be happy, uh, you know, uh, connecting that to current events and what the freedom philosophy represents in the world today. That's what, that's what I want to do. It's been worth putting it off. It's going to be a really good segment. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe I'll stew on this for another two weeks, and we'll make CJ pull up links that I don't get to every day for another month. All right. With that, any final hot comments or, or last thoughts? Comment Jim Freedom. Uh, well, the one thing I wanted to end with, Draco Chainmail was saying earlier when you were suggesting how people like the show. Mm. You know, oh, right, right. Let's get that feedback Opening yeah. on the opener. Yeah, well, he, they basically like it either way. Uh, but no Draco was saying he would like to see us go out on the property more. He says you lead by example of your lifestyle, and he would like to see more of it on the Anniversary Man Show, not just on. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, so what, that's that's a that's a great comment. I appreciate that, Draco. And you know, when I got out here, I used to do like one homesteading video a day. That was my entire production. It was, and it was just me, phone, tripod, set it up. Hey guys, this is what getting tires is like, and it was fun. I sort of, uh, 
you know, a daily diary for the property. And the equivalent of that now is, is Jim doing the behind the scenes thing, which isn't really the same thing. It's just little fun clips. It's more visual. It's, it's more physical. And we are making an effort that's, that's sort of more practically important for like, do you need to hear me rant? This is what we're doing today, like every day at the garden. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people want to plug into that. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe we could start another channel, you know, um, and see, this is where I go. Every time you, you try to do something like this, even to answer this question, I'm like, YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We got to consider. So, like, what, you know, maybe, you know, and, and or, or is it, oh, fake, oh, we'll do, we'll just do it. Oh, freaking Facebook. You know, every, every platform that would allow us to do this is, shall we say, problematic. Um, and with Adam versus the man, this is this is our central brand, our central production for media. I'm so grateful that we have CJ posting this in multiple places, videos, live videos, the audio, and that from this content we're able to make derivative content. Actually, I would love to get, by the way, call for volunteer help here. Uh, we'd love to have someone on social media. And a big part of that would be making clips from the existing content to post on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm building up, uh, I think, for, for Big Igloo Geodesics and for the garden, very visual. I like Instagram. You know, I've heard plenty of criticisms. I have a problem with it being Facebook. Uh, but as I, I think that's one of those things that will survive the decentralized social media realignment. Like when you get a Bitcoin-based version, a Bitcoin or blockchain-based version of Instagram, they're going to port over all the data. You know, you're going to be able to rip your Instagram feed and go back here. But, like, I've been using Instagram pretty consistently since at least 2013, 2014, I think. And, I, you know, I'm so throttled. It's so funny. On like, I don't get play on Instagram. Um, I've had between 20 and 22,000 followers for the last four years. And you go... <laughs> no, I love how CJ calls me the most shadow banned uh, creator on YouTube. You know, and Instagram's not much better. So, if there was a demand and and there was a way to make it, you know, worth my like, and you know, when I talk about setting the example and living by example, like there are a lot of the, the most of that can be covered in pretty basic overview concepts, right? You know, I, I don't – I'm not going to be the guy explaining to you how to do earthship construction. There are plenty of good videos on that. You know, what we did with the incinerator project yesterday actually was a cool little, you know, improvised redneck fire incinerator, a trash, trash burner here. Um, and when it's done, we'll take another picture. We have any, but the whole concept is five photos. And you go, oh, okay, I see what they did there. I see how it works. Okay, cool. You know, and the bigger point is – like I, I explained earlier today, we burn our trash that we cannot use or recycle or upcycle. So for us, burning trash, by the way, it's a very – you think, oh, my God, Adam, you're burning trash. It's a very – I should have pointed this out before. It's a very, very small part of our waste. You think about, like, what a normal household produces for waste. Food waste, containers, uh, glass bottles, plastic bottles, cans, um, 
cardboard, paper. No joke. I cover plastic bottles. But then, like, plastic scrap is really, like, the only thing that's left. All of those other things, except for the, for that one, get used or upcycled here properly. Um, all of our water waste, at least we throw it on a tree. You know, we don't need we we have no need for sewage out. All of our uh, we 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 poop in a bucket with a compost toilet. So the the poop we put ash and toilet paper in there, and it it just beca- we we have a pile where that gets composted, and when it's Fully degraded, it can go, okay, and then we can use that as, as planting soil. Um, bottles, cans, glass, plastic, all get saved here as building materials. Um, a lot of a lot of scrap like just gets saved. You know, like are we piling up junk? Some would call it that. We have we have a big supply of burning of, of building materials here, and we have the room for a little junk to pile up where. It would be impractical to store otherwise. You know, I could talk if there's a. I don't know. How would would we? If we. It wouldn't be enough. It's not enough for me. I to be motivated to start another YouTube channel just about the homestead. Yeah, he followed up here. He says I was suggesting more like a featured web resource segment. Sure. Well, so there's so many good websites out there. You know, uh, homestead.guru run by our friend Cat Bleich. Um. I mean, Google that shit. You want, like, do, do you really need Adam to put together a list of, here's a link to growing asparagus, and here's a link to, you know, putting cement pave stones down, and here's, like, no, like, because I did these things. No, it's all, and there's going to be better stuff. You know, I might, but, so that's why it would be fun, like, to do a, a daily video that's, like, three to five minutes. Hey, this is what's going on here today, or these are my thoughts on this one element of homesteading. But even to incorporate that in my daily routine, it's only, you know, five, ten minutes, think about it, put it up, post it. You know, it's too much on the Adam versus the man stream because we're already doing, you know, five videos a day with this covering the news. CJ, do you have some thoughts about that, a good way to incorporate it? Uh, You know, I mean, other than directly and doing it through the show, but you you misrepresented what I said, sir, so I felt like I should say something. You're not the most shadow banned man. You are the most censored man on YouTube with 241,000 subscribers. And your last video last, your number one video last week got 0.00539 carry on percent of your subscribers. Those are people that actively went to you and said, I want to see more of this. And that's the result in the numbers. So I call you the most censored man on the Internet, actually. Quite possible. Quite possible. Thank you, CJ. All right. So I'm open to it. If so, like, and I, I really like what we're doing right now is offering this as a thing for patrons. Um, yeah, the behind the scenes. If there was some other way, like, I mean, it's, and it's, do I put the time into that? Do I put the time into giving, you know, an expanded video window onto homesteading what I'm doing here? It's nice. It's good content. I, I enjoy doing it. I don't know. I don't think that. It is, you know, is, would it be better to put that into, effort into Adam versus the man making this production better or other projects I'm working on? If there's a demand for it, you know, if, if, if people start going, Adam, we, you know, if I hear this over and over again, Adam, we want to see what you're doing at the homestead more than the way you're presenting it. You know, I could go to like, I mean, I could go to seven days a week and just quick video on my phone and boom, I'll click upload to YouTube or Instagram or 
Facebook, uh, whatever it is. So if people have like, you know, if you have an idea for how that would be, and, and how you'd want me to 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 to, to help uh, to, to get that content out, send me an email. I still have it on my whiteboard. I still have it over here. CJ doesn't have to put it in the notes. I can be a whiteboard dork. Adam at thefreedomline.com. Send me an email, please. And if you want to come out here, if you want to see the garden, uh, anything else, this is my main inbox. I see it myself. I get some help with it, but I do everything through Adam at thefreedomline.com. Please send me an email. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Be excellent to each other. We'll talk to you tomorrow.